Hello and welcome to the GMHBA Healthier Together podcast series. This series has been developed to assist you to master your health and well-being. Health is too hard when you try to go it alone. And we know that together, we're healthier. Dr. Rosie Worsley is an endocrinologist specialising in women's health. She consults at the Jean Hales Medical Centre at Epworth East Melbourne and worked for five years in the Alfred Hospital Women's Health and Women's Mental Health Clinics, looking after the endocrine needs of women with complex medical and psychiatric conditions. Rosie completed her PhD in menopause in 2017 and has received the Young Investigator Prize from the Australian, European and International Menopause Societies. Dr. Rosie Worsley, welcome to the GMHBA podcast. Fantastic. Thanks for having me. You're an endocrinologist. Yes. What does that specialty cover? Well, yeah, it, it's a big word and no one ever knows what I do, so it's a good question. So um, an endocrinologist looks after people who've got um, hormone problems. So commonly people will know about thyroid problems or adrenal problems. My subspecialty is women's endocrinology, so it's really problems with women's hormones. So I see lots of women with menopause or early menopause, things like polycystic ovary syndrome, PMS or other mood issues with their periods, and a whole host of other period problems as well. Most women would have heard of menopause, obviously, but can you tell us exactly what that means? So the word menopause actually refers to a woman's last period in her lifetime, and it usually happens at around the age of 51. The problem is you can't tell it's your last one until you haven't had one for a year, so it can be a bit tricky. Although the word specifically means the final period, we basically use the term menopause to refer to all the symptoms associated with it and that time frame around it. So if you're being technical, you could say that the years leading up to menopause are called the perimenopause. But in common conversation, people just talk about menopause and menopausal symptoms. So what are those symptoms? The most common symptoms and the ones that we classically call menopausal symptoms are hot flushes and night sweats. And these are the symptoms that everybody recognises are due to menopause and we can prove in labs and everything that that is definitely due to menopause. And hot flushes um, are quite a hard symptom to describe if people haven't had it themselves. But essentially um, it's a feeling of warmth that usually starts from about the chest and goes up to the head and can be associated with sweating. Sometimes it's the whole body. It can be really intense and for some women it um, lasts a few seconds and other women it lasts a few minutes. Some women get um, unusual feelings with it as well, so they might feel faint or they might feel um, a bit of a sense of foreboding with it. So how bothersome the symptom is really depends on the type of symptom it is. Night sweats can be a real issue as well, so that's basically having hot flushes at night, but often the sweating is very severe, so people can end up needing to change their pyjamas or the sheets. Um, People can sweat like that in the day too, so I've had a lot of patients who carry around a spare change of clothes in the boot of their car. Um, But night sweats, I think, become particularly bothersome because if you can't sleep, we all know that sleep sleep deprivation is used as a torture, so people can feel really bad with that. And it's why sleep, sleep difficulty is another really common symptom at menopause. The other really classic symptom of menopause is vaginal dryness, which a lot of people don't like to talk about, Um, but that can be associated with quite a lot of discomfort as well, and it's really easy to treat, so it's it's a good one that people should be talking about with their doctor. What can women do during this time? I think it really depends on how it's affecting them. So we know that about one in five women basically get no symptoms at all, so they can just forget the whole thing. They're really, really lucky. 
we've got about another one in five women who have really terrible symptoms and those women really should proceed straight to their GP or another um, trusted doctor and try and get some help for it because you don't need to suffer in silence um, like, like women used to have to. Um, then for the majority of people, they have sort of mild to moderate symptoms. So for these people, um, things that might help might be really simple measures like putting on the air conditioning, dressing in layers so that if you get a flush, you can, you know, take off the layers really quickly, avoiding things that might trigger your hot flushes. So for some people, that's spicy food. For a lot of people, it's really stressful scenarios. Um, So really simple measures like that might be enough. I think the other thing about menopause is that because it's happening at midlife for most women, it's a really important time in your life and a good time to take stock of your health and start looking at it as a time for taking preventive measures. So looking at your lifestyle overall, you know, how's your diet, are you doing exercise? You know, I've actually seen some women start, they get so stressed around menopause, they start taking up smoking and drinking again. So looking at all those habits can be really important as well. Now, how does menopause impact mental health or your mood? It's a really good question and it's something that we're starting to know a lot more about and the impact of hormones on the brain is is a very complex one. What we know is that in perimenopause, so the years leading up to your final period and that first year after the menopause, women do seem to be at a higher risk of depression and anxiety. So women can have never had those problems before and then all of a sudden, for no apparent reason, they develop these symptoms. It's more common if you've had a really stressful life event occur during that time as well. So it's sort of making you just a bit more vulnerable to those stresses. But the group who, who are really at risk Um, in a big way are women who've had depression or anxiety or other mental health issues in their life before, um, particularly women with things like bipolar disorder. So if you're someone who's prone to depression, menopause is going to be a time where you need to watch your mood um, and you may well need some sort of treatment to help with your depression or your anxiety. A lot of women think that they can't take hormone therapy because it causes cancer. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, so hormone therapy used to be used by just about everyone. Probably about 30% of Australian women used to take hormone therapy. And then in 2002, the results of a very large study were published suggesting that hormone therapy causes breast cancer. So basically overnight, everybody stopped it. And it's taken until now, so, you know... 15 years later before we're now getting a new perspective on that and when people have re-looked at the data and done further studies um, the basic conclusion that um, has been come to is that for women who are otherwise healthy who are going through natural menopause the benefits of hormone therapy essentially outweigh the risks so what this means is when you look at the positives and the negatives it seems to all balance out in the right age group and in the right um, patient category Um, the thing that people worry about particularly is breast cancer and what we found now is that hormone therapy does appear to increase breast cancer by about 20 percent once you've used hormone therapy for four or five years so for very short-term use for say a year or two it's not a particular risk the caveat to that is that you know this is also based on what your own individual risk factors are so you know, if you're someone who's got a very strong family history of breast cancer um, or, you know, who has a BRCA gene putting you at high risk of breast cancer, that's obviously a different scenario. But for the everyday person, um, generally we say, look, it, it does increase um, the risk of breast cancer a small amount um, after five years of use. And it would equate to roughly an, 
an extra eight cases per 10,000 women that use it. So it's there, but it's no scary as what we thought. The um, other side to that is hormone therapy reduces the incidence of bowel cancer and it also reduces the rate of osteoporotic fractures. So that's why the societies have come to this conclusion that, well, if you're using it in women within 10 years of menopause who don't have other major medical problems, it probably all balances out. But we're using it to treat symptoms, not to, tr not to try and prevent disease, which is what the one of the major criticisms of that large study that suggested there was a link with breast cancer is that they were using it in much older women in their late 60s and 70s and they were trying to prevent heart disease, which is very, which is never how we've really used it in Australia. In Australia, we've always used it to treat very severe menopausal symptoms for short periods of time in basically healthy people. Now, Rosie, what are bioidentical hormones? So bioidentical hormones is a term that's used to refer to products that are compounded hormone therapy. So these are things that are generally prescribed by um, a GP, although aren't always prescribed, and then they're compounded in individual batches by a pharmacist. Um, the general recommendations by all of the learned societies in this area would say that we shouldn't be using bioidentical hormones, and that's really about safety concerns. So the problem with hormone therapy is that if somebody's got, for example, an intact uterus, we want to give them oestrogen to stop their hot flushes, but we need to give them progesterone to protect their uterus. So if we don't know exactly how much progesterone they're getting, we don't know if they're safe. Um, and because these drugs aren't manufactured to a pharmaceutical grade, um, you don't necessarily know the dose you're getting in each batch. So there have been cases in Australia reported of women actually getting cancer in the uterus because um, they probably weren't getting enough progesterone in their bioidentical hormones. What is cognitive behavioural therapy and can it help manage symptoms? So CBT um, is basically a psychological technique and it's used really commonly by a lot of psychologists, a lot of GPs do it as well. And it's mainly been used for treating depression and anxiety and has pretty good results in that. Um, and it basically involves using thoughts and behaviours to change a symptom. So for example, you might be challenging negative thoughts, things like that. But they found that if you apply that to hot flushes, it can actually reduce the distress associated with the hot flushes. So it won't necessarily um, get rid of your hot flushes or make them less frequent. But if you're having really distressing hot flushes, it can reduce that distress. So it's something that can be really helpful for women who can't take hormone therapy or who can't tolerate other medications. Um, and there's quite a bit available um, on the internet that women can read about themselves. So uh, the British Menopause Society has um, some interesting fact sheets and links to books that women can look at if they want to go with a drug-free option. Um, and it certainly can be very helpful. And what about after menopause? What are some things that women need to uh, keep at the forefront of their mind um, about their health post-menopause? So I think um, post-menopause is, is the rest of your life after menopause. And some women will actually still get hot flushes well into their 70s. Um, most people won't, thank goodness, but there are a small number of people who do. But I think once you're looking at that post-menopause phase, you're really looking at trying to maintain your health um, and taking really good measures about preventive health. So often it's things around, you know, maintaining your fitness. We know as you get older, your muscles start wasting, so you need to keep them strong. Um, you need to be making sure you're 
keeping your weight as good as you can and, and getting a balanced diet, avoiding smoking and alcohol. And the other really big issue for women is osteoporosis. So the government will fund a bone density scan for women who are age 70 or over, but it's also recommended in women who are younger who have a risk factor. So, for example, there's osteoporosis in their family. And osteoporosis basically means... Um, slightly thin bones that are, are more likely to fracture. We know about two in three women have osteoporosis in, in older age. And the main difficulty with it is is that if you end up having fractures, you're much more likely as you get older to end up needing to go into residential age care. So treating osteoporosis, a lot of that is about maintaining your independence and your quality of life. And also a fracture obviously really hurts. Now where can people go to get more information about menopause? So Jean Hale is a fantastic organisation which basically um, is all about menopause and women's health generally. And if women go to our website, so jeanhales.org.au, they'll find heaps and heaps of information on the website. And you know that it's trusted information, so all the information um, has been reviewed by multiple specialists to make sure that it's accurate and up-to-date. Um, and it will also contain other links there to, to further information. Um, Often one of the best places to go if you're needing treatment, if you've got really bad symptoms, is to have a look at the Australasian Menopause Society website, which contains um, a register of doctors who have an interest in menopause. Your GP may well be really experienced in menopause and be able to help you, but it's important to know that because HRT basically went out of fashion for 15 years, there's a lot of GPs that aren't comfortable with menopause and perhaps don't have much of a, an interest in it or haven't actually had a lot of education in it. So if you're not getting the answers that you want, um, it's, it's good to look for somewhere else. Dr Rosie Worsley, thank you very much for joining us on the GMHBA podcast. Fantastic and thanks so much for showing an interest in women's health. It's really important to help people learn more about it. Thank you.